0: Well, hey, our children can slide out to be with our Redemption Kids volunteers. They'll be sliding out the very top. If you're new and you've got a child and haven't checked them in, just follow the crew and they will get you squared away. For the rest of us, I want you to go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew 28. If you've got one of the Bibles that we provide, that's on page 835. Page 835, you're welcome to use your phone or iPad or whatever device that you have. But we do want to get in the Word today. As I introduced earlier, my name is John Chasteen. I serve as one of the pastors. As many of you guys know, Tanner Turley, our lead pastor, is away on maternity leave and with the birth of Titus Storms, not this past Friday, but the previous Friday. And so um, Marsh is doing well, Titus is doing well, and uh, we're really grateful and glad for God's grace and work And their lives. Well, I am honored to be able to bring God's word with you today. Here's here's what we're going to do. For the next four weeks, we are kicking off a new sermon series called Multiply, a sermon series on personal disciple making. And so uh, we're going to be kicking it off today. As we get started, um, I want to reflect with you a little bit on my spiritual journey. And I've done a little bit of that. This past week, as I think of, and I want you as I do this, I want you to just go through your journey yourself and thinking about it. I grew up a pastor's kid, so I grew up in the local church, um, hearing the Word of God preached sung from a very early age um, all of my life, um, and I'm very grateful for the many people, my dad, my parents, um, I've been to a lot of youth conferences, many people have brought the Word to me that have invested in my life, but in particular... As I look back at my story, uh, the, the four and a half years that I spent in college at Appalachian State University were probably some of the most formative years. I don't want to minimize the other years of my life, but when I reflect, I think of some key people that God placed in my life that invested in me. And, and I know that there were many people, many pastors that preached to to the the crowds, and and I was in those. But in particular, I want to introduce you to two people today that spent intentional one-on-one time with me that shaped me into the person I am today. The first person I want to introduce you to is a guy named Britt Pettigrew. Britt, um, I met my freshman year at Appalachian State University. He was on staff with Crew, and uh, that was a, a ministry on campus that I got involved with, and pretty early on in my time there, we began hanging out. My guess it was probably towards the end of my freshman year and through many of my years of college, he spent weekly time with me, helping me to follow Jesus, calling out sin in my life, teaching me the Word of God. We'd go together and share the gospel with each other. I mean, we spent a good bit of time. Additionally, his wife, Amy, discipled my wife, this was before we were married, um, and I'm super grateful for her investment in my wife teaching her how to be a woman of God. In fact, Britt was the guy that I went to and said, hey, hey, Britt, let me tell you about this girl I got my eye on. And I'm telling him about Lee as I'm praying and discerning, like, should I initiate a relationship? And at the same time, Lee's actually going, unbeknownst to each of us, to his wife, Amy, saying, hey, let me tell you about this guy, John, that, uh, now, I, I don't want to overplay her words, but she, she's doing that. And so they were instrumental even in discipling us before we were even dating in a very intentional, formal way, very grateful for their investment in my life and Lee's life. Let me introduce you to the second guy. Second guy is a guy by the name of Roger, Roger Critcher. Now, let me take you back. Britt was probably, at the time I was in my 18 to 22 age, he was probably mid-20s to late-20s. Roger um, was um, a father to four kids, probably 40s going in to around the age of 50. Roger was the college minister at the church that I went to in college. Um, Roger worked a full-time job. He owned a warehouse, a trucking business, and volunteered his time to lead the college ministry that had hundreds of college students in it. Like, I showed up thinking this guy's on staff getting paid by the church. No, he, he, he's volunteer. That's how he wanted to spend his time. And, and so he worked a full-time job during the week, invested in college students. He taught the word to me on Sundays. I spent time with Roger every week, but it was a little different than my time with Britt. Roger, on Tuesday nights, invited the guys We'd go out to his warehouse. He had a big warehouse where this trucking business was. And we would chop wood together. Doesn't that sound fun? I mean, I'd never chopped wood in my life. And he's, you know, teaching me. And, and for an hour or two, every Tuesday night, we'd chop wood. And we'd talk about Jesus. And I'm doing this with other guys. After, while we were chopping wood, my, some of the ladies, and Lee at times was hanging out with his wife, Denise, and they, they would be preparing a homemade meal together. So Roger's spending time with us guys. We're chopping wood. Denise is with the ladies. They're, they're preparing a the meal. When we finished chopping wood, we'd all come together. He's his family there, his boys, his kids, and, and we're eating a meal together every Tuesday night. My interaction with Roger much different than my interaction with Britt. There was not a, we're we're meeting weekly, one-on-one, and a very intentional working through even curriculum, but I learned as much from Roger, chopping wood, and being around his family about what it means to be a follower of Jesus as I did with my time with Britt, and I'm thankful for both of them. Now, why did I share this with you? Oftentimes, when we think of the people that are making the most impact, well, those are the, maybe the pastors or preachers that are, that are speaking to crowds. Now, don't hear me. I don't want to minimize. I'm not trying to lose myself from a job. Like, I'm, I'm not talking. But I want you to hear this. I think oftentimes we don't understand the influence that one individual investing in another individual can have on the rest of their life. Check this, Britt and Roger both have a ministry that is extending beyond Appalachian State and has gone to places that they could never go through me. You guys get that? They multiply themselves in me. And so even the fruit of my ministry, they have an imprint on. That's, That's when you make disciples and you multiply yourself, you're multiplying your influence further than you could ever go yourself. Here's my prayer during this sermon series. My prayer is that God would raise up some Rogers, some Brits, some Amys, some Denises that say, you know what? The form may look different, but I want to invest in people to make disciples for the glory of God. And so here's what we're going to do today. Today in this foundational sermon, we're going to go to Matthew 28, the last words of Christ. And, and I, my goal today is to give you five reasons why you should, here's the point, here's the point today. Disciples follow Jesus and multiply disciple makers. Disciples follow Jesus and multiply disciple makers. I want to give you five reasons why this is worth your life, spending your life on, investing yourself and multiplying disciple-makers. Let's go to Matthew 28, and let's listen to these last words of Christ. I'm going to start in verse 16. The Word of God says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me pray with us again. Father, as we hear these final words of Christ, God, I pray that they would not fall on deaf ears. But God, would you give us soil in our hearts today to hear these, not as John Chastine's words, but as the words of their Savior, Jesus. God, help us to respond appropriately. And we ask for grace in that in Christ's name. Amen. The first reason why you should be a disciple who's investing and multiplying disciple-makers is this. Jesus commands it. Jesus commands it. If you've been with Redemption Hill for any time, you've probably heard this sermon preached. I mean, this passage preached, in fact, about a year ago, in May of 2017, I preached from this very text. My focus when I preached from that very text was on this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And that's right. Like as, we, as we hear this, it, it is a call to make disciples of the nations. And I spent my time with you pleading with us why we ought to be a church that has the heartbeat of God, that beats to see the, the gospel taken to the nations. But to take the gospel to the nations we don't need to minimize the command to actually make disciples right here. And so what I want to do today, it's, I'm not like trying to compete like global missions with making disciples here. It's, it's not an either or, it's a both and. We're going to have a heart for the nations. We're going to pray, God, raise up, send missionaries and laborers to the ends of the earth and help us make disciples as you have kept us here in Boston. You guys with me on that? And so let's walk through the text here. One, the first implication here, as we look at this command, is this. Disciple-making is the ministry of the local church. Disciple-making is the ministry of the local church. Looking at the command here in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. There's one imperative. The one imperative is make disciples. If you look in the Greek here, it's, One imperative, and there's three participles that flow out of it. How do you make disciples? You make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. But the main command is make disciples. Colin Marshall and Tony Payne have written an excellent book. Some of you may have read with us called The Trellis and the Vine. And they're reflecting on this passage, and the goal of their book is to argue this that disciple making should be the normal agenda and the priority of every church and every Christian disciple making is the normal agenda of every church and every Christian, and given this, they conclude, like their, their main argument for the book is this, I've got on the screen. Thus, the goal of Christian ministry is quite simple and in a sense measurable. Are we making <clears throat> and nurturing genuine disciples of Christ? If somebody were to ask us, hey, man, is the church, what do you do? Well, the last words of Christ, the call to us is, we make disciples of all the nations. Like, this is what we do. This this is what describes, like, why we exist as a church and and, and guides what we should be doing. Now, in order to flesh out, like, when we're talking about disciple-making, I think we should just step back for a second and ask, what is a disciple? If we're going to talk about disciple-making, what is a disciple? Do you realize, as you read the New Testament, the primary word that is used to describe Jesus' followers is a disciple. Now, we usually say, hey, are you a Christian? Like, are you a Christian? Like, we, we use that language here, but it's a disciple. You even go, you can go to Acts 11. We just preached through Acts, where Luke writes, and they the disciples were first called Christians where? At Antioch? That's where they were first called Christians, but it's disciple and Man, i I'm gonna highlight a couple of resources for you. One is another one called Gospel-Centered Discipleship by Jonathan Dotson. This is one we've got on the resource table out here. Reflecting on this word disciple, he says this. In light of the repeated usage, we should see it as fundamental to thinking about Christianity. We are disciples first. Listen to me. Disciples first and parents, employees pastors deacons and spouses second disciple is an identity everything else is a role disciple is an identity it shapes everything i am a christian father i am a christian employee like it's it's a it's an identity that influences every single role in my life and so he continues our roles are temporary but our identity Will last forever. So we should be thinking as we think of disciple making. It is an identity. Another word with disciple would be a word follower. We talk about I'm am a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Um, and another resource called The Walk by Stephen Smallman. He gives this definition of a disciple. I think we got on the screen here. It says a disciple of Jesus is one who has heard the call of Jesus and has responded by repenting, believing the gospel. And following Jesus. This is what it is a disciple. They've heard the gospel. They've repented. They're following. They're believing. And and it's not a one-time thing like, this is my life. Jesus is my master. I'm following Jesus. I am a disciple. I am a follower. So in other words, a disciple, you've responded to the gospel. You're following him with your life. So we, we've looked at what a disciple is. I want you to step back. Okay, then what does it mean to make disciple-making the central ministry and task of the church? I got an image I want you to, to think and look through. Many, If you've been to Next or if you've spent some time with us, maybe in our covenant class, you've seen this. This is our church-wide discipleship strategy. The reason we call it discipleship strategy is because of Matthew 28. This is why we exist to make disciples. So we ask, okay, how are we at Redemption Hill going to make disciples? You may see the tagline under that. Helping all people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus. Maturity, like this is our aim. We're, we're trying to become like Jesus. Not John Chastain. Like Jesus is our aim. We're helping people to follow Jesus, and we want to see them become multiplying followers of Jesus. How do we do that? This basically walks through everything we do as a church. The first circle there, Sunday experience. Let me ask you a question. Is this disciple making right here? Yes. Like if it's not, we shouldn't be like, if we're to be making disciples, our goal, we're making disciples, I would say in a very corporate way. This is corporate, large group, discipleship. We, our goal is to teach people in this time to follow Jesus with their life. This is discipleship. Next is a, a place where we say begin and belong. It's next steps on how are people, helping people take next steps with Redemption Hill and with Jesus. Flowing out of that, we talk about groups and teams. When you go to a community group, are community groups about making disciples? Yes. In a more, we would say this is very generic. When we talk about our Sunday morning preaching, it is, it's, it's not very individual focused. We're, we're trying to hit a bunch of different uh, backgrounds and diversities of people. When you get into your community or small group, you're narrowing that focus. But it's still disciple making. We're helping people to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. And then you could continue on. The very last circle there on our strategy is multiply. Multiply where? local, and global. Do you see the both end of Matthew 28? Like, we want to, our goal is that every person at Redemption Hill is like, this is where we're headed. We want to multiply disciple makers to the ends of the earth, but it's going to start here in Boston. And so this sermon series focuses, okay, how do we do that in a very local way right here? Now, Looking at this strategy, the reason I pulled this up is because I think at times we think of disciple-making as simply one-on-one, like going to grab coffee or somebody or me and Britt or me and Roger, like, but, but all that we do as a church ought to be about making disciples. It has various forms, but it's all about making disciples, now, here's what I want to do. I'm, just, I'm laying the groundwork, groundwork for this series. Now, I want us to narrow in. We're, we're going church wide. Now, I want us to think about personal disciple making. Hang hey, a little sidebar. Hey, I know it's hot in here. Hopefully, we've got it maybe four more weeks. Um, and and it'll, we'll get some New England cool fall weather. So, you guys are doing great. Hang in there with me. I know it's hard fighting, keeping attention with the heat. But um, thank you guys for bearing with us here. As we, as we think narrowing in on personal disciple making, Um, here's why this series is important. Through a history of the church, or depending on what church you go in, I think the pendulum can swing on where the focus is related to disciple making. The book I mentioned, Trellis and the Vine, their argument, and the reason they've written the book and they're challenging the church is this, is they believe that there's not nearly enough one-to-one, one-to-two, one to three, disciple making happening, in the church. And that's the goal of the series. Our goal is to think about this, okay, we've got Sunday mornings, we've got small groups, but what would it look like, at Redemption Hill, if there was just a, disi- a personal, disciple making movement, of people, individually, intentionally, spending time, making disciples, together. Hey, So so I want to flesh out a few definitions with you to think about personal disciple making. These are some just through my reading and study that I want to share with you. One is from a book called Discipling by Mark Dever. This is in the Nine Mark series. Um, Mark Dever, he he gives this definition of discipleship. He says in a simple way, it's just helping others to follow Jesus. Helping others to, to follow Jesus. And then he flushes it out a little bit more. He says discipling, which he means personal disciple making, is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. That's very simple. Like an individual helping somebody else become like Jesus. Like in a real, like very general sense, that's what we're after. Like that is our aim. I'm following Jesus, and I'm helping somebody else to follow Jesus. Um, now one of the words in his definition he says deliberately so there's an intentionality here it's not just like man I hope that it it happens like when we're talking about personal disciple making there's a very intentional I'll go back to my illustrations Britt was very intentional in how he was making a disciple of me Roger though in a very different sense was very deliberate right he created the context, we're chopping wood. He, he's not just randomly hoping he's making disciples. He came every Tuesday night and he was making a disciple. He was bringing the word into our conversations that we weren't working through some specific curriculum, though there was a deliberateness, there was an intentionality that he was investing in us. Let me give you another one. This is from um, another book called Rediscovering Discipleship by Robert Galati. He says this, Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God, through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. Now, I know that's a little more lengthy. You may not be able to write that one down, but we'll leave it up there for a second. I want to just note the similarities. One, all of them are about we're following Jesus. I'm replicating followers of Jesus. I'm helping somebody else to follow Jesus. That That's not changing. Like when we think about disciple making, I'm following Jesus and I'm helping others follow Jesus. But Pressing in a little bit, one, you see this word intentional. It's intentionally equipping, so there's some intentionality that I'm bringing to it. It's not just happening by happenstance. The role of the Word of God there, next week, in the, the, the next three sermons, we're going to be fleshing out how to actually go about it. My goal today, by the end, is to get you to say, you know what, yes, this is the command, I need to be doing this. We'll figure out the next three weeks, how do we go about doing it? But you see the role of the Word of God there, and you see the role of the Spirit Working in us, empowering these relationships. So here's the deal Jesus commanded it. This is the ministry. This is what we're about. When you think of an individual disciple as a church, we're going to be about making disciples as an individual. This ought to shape your life. No matter if you're 20 or whether you're 70, make disciples. Second implication from this command is this disciple making begins and ends with Jesus. Look back at the text in Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Disciple making flows out of the authority of Christ, He is King Jesus, He is above every authority in view of his resurrection. And so this command is saying, I am now the one who's been given authority over everything. Go and make disciples. Not only does this like ought to lead us to very like confidence as we engage in making disciples, it should ensure the victory. Like I don't have to question whether disciples are gonna be multiplied among the nations. Jesus is the king and it's gonna happen. And so if you engage your life in this mission, you're engaging in a winning battle. Second, it flows out of the authority of Jesus. It's centered. Everything about how we go about making disciples is about Jesus. Go therefore make disciples. We've already talked about a follower. Like I'm not making a follower myself. I'm making a follower of Jesus. Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What, baptism includes the proclamation of the gospel. What is the gospel? Let me tell you what Jesus did. His life, death, resurrection. Turn from your sin and believe in him. It is very gospel, Jesus-centered. And when I go spend time helping somebody become like Jesus, what am I teaching them? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The commands of Jesus. So like, I'm not teaching my own personal opinion. I'm saying, hey, this is what Jesus teaches us. I'm helping you to go and do what Jesus has told us to do. Flows from the authority of Christ, the commands of Christ, and then finally the presence of Christ. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus does not say, I will be with you. He says, what does he say? I am with you. When you engage in this mission, you're not doing it alone. It's flowing from the authority of Christ and Jesus through his spirit. Maybe we, hey, go back to Robert Galati's definition there, Jesse. Go back a couple of clicks. I think it's a maybe two. That very last definition, you see? The work of the Spirit there in his definition? countable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus saying, I'm with you. I put my Spirit in you, and my Spirit's going to do the work. As you take the Word of God, the commands of Jesus, and bring it in somebody's life, I'm going to make it effective. David Platt, in one of his sermons related to disciple making says this he says the greatest hindrance is not the self-indulgent mentality of our society but the self-reliant trust in oneself how many of you right now are saying you know what john i know what you're talking about but that's not me and you know what you're right you can't but jesus in you can and that's what the Great Commission's about. It's about, it's about you saying, man, G, it, I'm not great, but Jesus and his spirit in me and I've got his word, he'll do the work. I want to be obedient and faithful to the call that he's called me to do. Are we desperate for his spirit to lead and empower us? Jesus is our aim and Jesus is our power. So we see disciple making is the ministry of the church. We see disciple making begins and ends with Jesus And I want you to see this. Disciple making is for all disciples. When Jesus made this command in Matthew 28, I don't see two categories of disciples. Like a category that says, here here are the disciples who don't make disciples, and here are the disciples who do make disciples. You guys with me here? Like, he's got his 11 disciples there, and he says, go make disciples. Now, you you may be thinking, like, how do I know, like, this was to the 11. Why is this for me? I'll give you three reasons. The first one is this. He tells these disciples to make disciples of all the nations. Do you, like, you really believe Jesus thought these 11 guys were going to disciple all of the nations? No. With this command, he's looking, he's looking beyond these initial 11 to the many disciples in Acts who were to follow who would make disciples of all the nations. Second reason, Jesus says, you're to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here's what they're going to be doing. Hey, let me teach you. Let's read through the book, Gospel of Matthew. Here's what Jesus taught us to do. Oh, hey, the very last thing he taught us to do was to go and make disciples, so like if you're a disciple who's teaching the commands of Jesus, what they're going to do is say, "Oh, and by the way, we're supposed to go make disciples. That means you too now. You're a disciple." Third reason. That promise that he says, "I am with you always to the end of the age." It's looking past the initial 11. He says to the end of the age. Again, like the horizon is is not like you've got the immediate 11 but Jesus is looking way beyond them to the many disciples. And so here's the deal. The reality and norm should be that disciples make disciple makers. That when you think of yourself as I'm a follower of Jesus, it's not I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not going to go spend my life to invest in somebody. It's I'm following Jesus and whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do We don't come and follow Jesus and say, hey Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but let me give you these asterisks at the bottom. These are the things I'm not willing to do. That's not a follower of Jesus. You're still following your own will. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and come follow me. He says that anyone who's not willing to renounce everything cannot be my disciple. So you're like, John, that's hard. You're right, but it's worth it. Like, I'm not trying to minimize or make becoming a Christian easy. In a sense, it's very easy. Like, you don't have to do anything except look at what Jesus has done, turn from your sin, and follow him. But yet, it's the very hardest thing to do because you've got to die. And I wonder how many of us need to die so that Jesus and the command of Jesus may reign. Like, what if that really happened? Like, God taken all of us in such doing a work that we're saying, I'm dying today. This is, man, this is hard. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but he's told me to go make a disciple, and I'm going to go do it. in the power of his spirit through the word that he's given me. David Platt's written a book called Follow Me on how to follow Jesus and, and helping people make disciples. And in that, he says this, reflecting on the early church. I mean, just put yourself in the early church reading these words. He says this, the great commission was not a choice for them to consider, but a command for them to obey. Are you looking at Matthew 28 as like, well, maybe. Or is it, this is what my master says. This is what I ought to be spending my life doing. He continues. He says, this kind of movement involves all of us. Check this out. Every single single follower of Christ fishing for men, every single disciple making disciples, no more spectators instead. Ordinary people spreading the gospel in extraordinary ways all over the world. World Men and women from diverse backgrounds with different gifts, distinct platforms, making disciples, multiplying churches throughout every domain of society and every place on the planet. This is God's design for his church and disciples of Jesus must not settle for anything less. Will we respond to this command as a choice to consider or as a command to obey? Jesus commands it. That's the number one reason. Second reason why you should multiply disciple makers, Jesus models it. Here's what I want to do. I can't preach through the whole book of Matthew today, but I'm going to try to. I want you to turn me to Matthew 4 or or go on your phone or whatever you're looking at. This is why I want you to be in the Word. We're going to be looking at some text. I want you to see. We're just going to do a fly by the mall of Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to be doing this quick, so um, hang in there with me. And I know I told you I was going to give you five reasons just as a heads up. The last three are pretty short and quick, so I won't be spending as much time on the last three. Not, Not to get you worried here. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is after Jesus has been baptized, he's been tempted. He comes out, Matthew four eighteen. he says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. A few implications I want to highlight here. First of all, Jesus discipled through association and imitation. And to give you a little background here. I couldn't recommend more highly a little book called "The Master Plan of Evangelism" by Robert Coleman. Um, he, very, I mean, he just go go get it. And it, even though the title is Evangelism, it's really about the plan of Jesus and how He made disciples. But what do we see here? He says, "Follow Me." That's the first command. Follow Me. Association. Just you're going to leave everything and you're going to come spend time with Me. It's association. It's imitation. I want you to think about this as we think about the call to make disciples. As he was with his disciples, as they followed him, this is how they, he taught them the word. He says, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And he says, pray like this. He's bringing them alongside as he's going and sharing the gospel and evangelizing and healing and all of it. Like They learn by being with Jesus. It was through imitation. Robert Coleman in The Master Plan of Evangelism says this, the method of Jesus here was more than a continuous sermon. It was an object lesson. He did not ask anyone to do or be anything which he first had not demonstrated in his own life therefore, thereby not only proving its workability, but also its relevance to its mission. And this is the same thing we see in Paul. Go to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. I got on the screen here. What's Paul say? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Jesus said, follow me. Paul says, follow me because I'm following Jesus. Like in a in a very real sense, disciple making is not just going to Starbucks and and like having some conversation. It's It's displaying a life transformed by Jesus and saying, I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to follow Jesus and come and imitate my life. Britt did that in my life. Roger was saying, here's how I'm leading my family. I'm spending time with you. And he's not like being arrogant, but he's saying, hey, he's realizing, he's following Jesus, and he's giving us a tangible picture. What's it look like to be a husband? What's it look like to be a dad? Follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus did it by association and imitation. But let's continue on. He also does this. What was his expectation from the very beginning? Verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Get this. We just looked at, like, the last words of Jesus, go make disciples. This was the very first calling of his disciples. He's, he's like, saying, hey, and by the way, you're not just going to come follow me. You're going to go make, like, To say you're a fisherman, you're going to go make disciples. You're going to go spend your life investing in other people. That was the call from the beginning. The goal was always multiplication, reproduction. But let's continue. Look at verse... Look at verses 23 to 25. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Did Jesus have a ministry to the crowds? Yes, he did. I just What we're trying to do is, okay, what was his ministry like? There's a ministry to the crowds, but go to the very next verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And now we've got this Sermon on the Mount. You see this distinction in Jesus' ministry. You've got the crowds there, but from very early on in his ministry, his plan, you've got these disciples that were going to bring about his mission and his plan in the world. We continue. Go to Matthew 9. I'm going to skip the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great sermon. Go, go spend some time in that. Matthew 9, look at verse 35. Later on, Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through, went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. You got the crowds. There's compassion. The harvest is ripe. It's white. What's the problem? What's the barrier? Hey, the labors are few. Pray for labors. What does he do next? Look at chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. And then we have the 12 apostles. What's his, what's his plan? Hey, pray for labors. Hey, you 12. What we see as we go through the, the, the Gospels is that increasingly Jesus' time is spent where? He's spent with the twelve. We oftentimes think about the people who are doing great work with the crowds. And again, I'm not trying to minimize the work for the crowds, but Jesus' plan, Robert Coleman argues in his book, is that the plan to reach the multitudes was found in the few. Let's continue on. and Go to chapter 17. Says this, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like a sun, and his clothes became clean, white as light. What do we see here? You guys know this. Even within the twelve, there's what? The three Peter, James, And John, where are the other disciples? He chose these three. And this isn't the only place. Look ahead to Matthew 26. Before he heads to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, you know who's with him? Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He's with his disciples, all of them. Hey, you three, you come with me. You may look at that, hey, Jesus, you're showing favoritism. This is not about favoritism. This is his plan and his model. You go from the crowds, you go through the 12. But even within the 12, Jesus had three that he intentionally spent time with, invested. And we're going to see these three are going to become leaders we just looked at this in the book of Acts. We could see one other example. When Jairus' daughter was raised to life, I'm not going to turn there for sake of time, but in Mark 5:37, go look at that one. It's just these three that Jesus brings with him. So let me just, as we look at the model of Jesus, and I know I just did a, like a flyby, let me just draw a few summary conclusions. One is this. There's no doubt that Jesus had a heart and compassion for the crowds. I'm not minimizing that. But second, he increasingly taught and ministered to his 12 disciples. You see this smaller group of ministry. But even within that, you have Peter, James, and John. Jesus' plan to reach the multitudes would be through a few men. You know what? The smaller the number, the more effective the instruction I'll be honest with you, I, I'm preaching right now to, I don't know, what, 150 people here? Like it, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just looking at faces across here, but it's different if I'm sitting right across the table from James Hoder, and I'm saying, James, Matthew 28, go make disciples. How are you particularly going to do that at Tufts University? Jesus modeled this for us. The, the smaller you get a number, the more effective. So I'm not, like, I'm not minimizing the role of the work that we're doing here. This is vitally important, teaching the word. But yet the way that we are going to see disciples multiply is as we go from this large group to seeing more community group leaders making disciples and multiply And then within community group leaders saying, you know what? I want to go and spend time with this person and help them to follow Jesus. Not that I've arrived. I'm still following Jesus, but I want to go help somebody else follow Jesus. Now, before you think, I could never do that, what do we know about these three men, Peter, James, and John? Do you know what Acts tells us? I've got it up here. Acts 4, 13 says this, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Jesus. Look, these weren't like we're gonna go, Jesus is gonna pick the three smartest, brightest dudes to go change the world. What set them apart was they had been with Jesus. So I'm not, this isn't a call to say all the brightest people at Redemption Hill wanna see you make disciples. This is a call for all disciples. Some of us may have different forms and structures in what this looks like, but it's a call for all of us to pray and consider how can I make a disciple? Robert Coleman says this, Jesus can use anyone who wants to be used. That's the call of this sermon. I'm not even saying, do you know how to do it? That's, if you don't know how to do it, that's great. I'm just asking, will you begin to pray, God? You know what, you're right. This is a command that's for me, and I want to be a part of it. I don't know how I'm going to do it or what it's going to look like, but use me. That's my goal. If we've got 150 people that are saying, you know what, I'm ready to be used, God will show up. God will work in our church. All right, I should probably give you these last three reasons pretty quick. Jesus commands it. Jesus models it. Third, you will grow exponentially. When you start telling somebody, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus, what does that do? You better be seeking to follow Jesus, right? You know what? maybe what's scaring the death out of you right now is that. You realize that, hey, sin's going to be... You start spending time with somebody, association and imitation, somebody's going to see the junk in your life. So maybe there just needs to be a fresh confession and repentance of sin. Let's get it on the table. Here's the point. It's not, I'm perfect Even as I'm following Jesus and saying, hey guys, I blew it, I'm confessing my sin and I'm turning from it. As a follower of Jesus, I'm not saying I'm never sinned, it's when I sin, what do I do? I confess, I repent, I turn. Even a disciple needs to see a Christian confess and repent of sin and turn from it. You want to expedite your growth in following Jesus? Go find somebody to spend some time with and help them become like Jesus. You will grow exponentially forth. Others Will grow exponentially this was my story in college that's what i'm telling you about brit and roger there were a lot of people that invested in my life but i particularly look when i had one-on-one intentionality from these two guys i mean god did a great work in my life but don't miss this every single one of you have an influence You, you can't not have an influence. Here's the deal. Somebody is always influencing you and you're always influencing somebody else. Here's the question I want you to think about. What will you do with your influence? Because in reality, you're making disciples. It just may not be disciples of Jesus. But you're, you're, you're pointing people. They're looking at your life and they're seeing something. Our prayer... Our vision this year in 2018 has been the fullness of God in us, overflowing from us. This sermon series, in, a, in, a, in many ways, would be the fruit of that. It would be the fullness of God filling us and just overflowing in individual lives. Let me tell you about what God's work has been doing in my life. Let's get together and read the word and let's pray together. You will help others grow exponentially. And then finally, you will leave a legacy. I want to invite the band to go ahead and make their way on up here as, as we wrap up. You guys stay focused here with me. Dever in his book on discipling gives this challenge. He says this. I think we've got it. For me, discipling is the only way I can evangelize non-Christians and equip Christians in that one place where I can never, never travel. The future beyond my life. Discipling others now is how I try to leave time bombs of grace. Let me ask you a question. Who are going to be the future leaders of Redemption Hill Church 20 years from now? Who are going to be the people sharing the gospel in the many places of Boston who've never heard the gospel long after you're gone? We can't just leave that up to pastors and teachers or even community group leaders. I would say as as an individual follower of Christ, you can't disciple everybody, but my prayer and my challenge for you is would you consider, are there, if you want to think of the crowds, the 12, and the three, like what if we all say, God, would you give me one to three people, one to three men or women that I could spend my life in investing and help them follow Jesus to help others follow Jesus and leave a legacy long after you Are gone. If you're already doing this, I want you to know I'm not assuming this isn't happening. If you're doing it, I hope you hear this as yes, confirmation. This is what I need to spend my life doing. Keep it up. But if you're not, my call to you is just a prayer. I know we haven't even talked a little bit about how you do it. I'm asking, is there an openness? God, use me. That's the call today. Will you respond? God, use me. Let me pray. Father, I know this may scare the mess out of much of us for many reasons. Fear, worry, sin being revealed, not knowing how to do it. But God, you've commanded us. Your authority is with us. Your words are with us. Your spirit is with us. God, I pray you would just increase our faith to believe your word that when we go out and engage on this mission, we will not fail. You will be with us. And your spirit will work powerfully through us. God, raise up in our church men and women who are saying, God, use me to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And God, I pray over the next three weeks, you would show us how do we do that in very real, tangible ways. God, we ask that in Christ's name, amen.